Welcome to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, where we trade in personal finance advice for entertaining conversations about money and millennials. Welcome, welcome world to yet another episode of Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm where we are back for our very first show, Malcolm, in the year of 2019. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. It's good to be back. Indeed. Although I was thankful for the break. Indeed, indeed. A new year. Just to let people know, we had a short break, a um, bit of time to get ourselves together. Malcolm's been going through a lot of life stuff. You're about to get married in April. Yeah. It's coming up. Um, and I, of course, have been dealing with the experience of having three children all at once, which has been interesting. Uh, but I'm still here, and the dream of Manager Damn Money is still alive, sir. Are you surprised? I I'm not surprised. I, I actually am impressed and pleasantly uh, impressed with the amount of, like, folks that have like inquired about what's going on via the interwebs absolutely via absolutely the, um, the biggest piece that i experienced actually somebody on twitter uh like kind of threw low-key some shade and they were like i mean i know you had kids but right the show at i'm like, like dog i wait. appreciate that in all honesty like the fact uh, that because think about it if we stopped the show for a couple months uh -huh. and nobody cared right that's true i would be a little bit offended Indeed. I, I don't know about you so the fact that people are even saying like what am I supposed to listen to? Right. I appreciate that. Indeed, indeed. Uh, a lot has gone on since we've been gone. Um, but, of course, any, any updates for us really quickly on the experience of... You're, you're doing a couple adult things coming up. You're, you're buying a house soon, or you're already... What, what's the status with that? We're under contract, but we're not in it yet. Okay. So, I mean, I'll be excited, I guess, on move-in day right but for now it's just you, you know, just you just got your hold on the house pretty much that's a good thing that's still a, a big step and in terms of the wedding man how's that how's that going that's a lot of money to be spent there um a lot of money to be spent a lot of attention to to detail <laughs> uh is the way that i will put it uh-huh um and every detail matters i'm i'm constantly being educated and you better remember that don't you forget it yeah. <laughs> the flowers, the size of the petals, the run, th the runner thing that goes down the aisle or whatever, that matters too. It, it matters to somebody. <laughs> um, and I just, you know. Indeed. I'm just along for the ride. Indeed. Like at this point, I'm the plus one to my fiance <laughs> for this for this wedding. That's really. your own wedding. Yeah. Well, uh, that is true. That is true. Well, uh, we are happy to be back on the show. Um, on this episode, this is actually the first time we'll be doing a show in this manner. Um, this is part one of understanding economic inequality and the policies being peddled to address it. And um, we're going to address one half of the issue on this episode, and then uh, we'll address the other half, Malcolm, on the second half. Um, but before we get into that topic on this episode, as we do on every show of Manager Damn Money, it is now time for headlines. The IRS will need at least a year to recover from the government shutdown. Watchdog tells Congress, and this was a, a January 2018 piece, Malcolm on WashingtonPost.com by Jeff Stein. Uh, it said the Internal Revenue Service has told lawmakers it would return from the government shutdown, buried in millions of unanswered taxpayer letters, weeks behind schedule on training for workers, and in need of 
hiring thousands of new employees for this tax filing season, according to two House aides. Um, the National Taxpayer Advocate, a government watchdog group that oversees the tax collector, has also told the House staffers that it's likely to take at least a year for the IRS to return to normal operations, according to the two House aides, who spoke on the condition of amenity because that's what's hot these days. Uh, a reminder, Malcolm, this was the result of the recent government shutdown brought on by political fighting over funding for 45's border wall. Oh, you don't have to remind me. Yeah, well, most people We know. won't forget. We, we won't forget. Uh, so, Malcolm, real quick, was there any uh, impact on the financial sector of the government shutdown? Like, you work in, you know, wealth management sector. Was there any impact there? Well, it didn't really impact uh, us from the standpoint of, like, our clients having major issues. Mm -hmm. I think the bigger impact that I noticed, at least, was the banks that were constantly reaching out saying, if you are impacted by the government shutdown, let us know proactively so that we can help you. Uh, so if you've got a mortgage that's due, let us help you defer it until right. you get back to work or a car note or whatever else you have going on. Right. Let us help you in a way that I don't know that I've really seen right. before, you know, maybe a year or two ago when the first few natural disasters, hurricanes and stuff started hitting. And all of a sudden I noticed again, the right. bank starting to say, let us proactively help you right. reach out. Let us know if you were impacted before that, they were kind of like, well, you should, you, know, <laughs> you should have insurance are we, or are, you should have saved money. Are or, we seeing a more caring corporate America? Is that what you're saying? We're seeing a corporate America that's more cognizant of their image. Ah, I think that's the way to say it. Okay. Because imagine if one person was to go viral on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, blasting one of the major banks right. because they foreclosed on their house right. because of the government shutdown. Ah. Wouldn't be a pretty good look. That is true. And at the, the social media juncture that we're at, Indeed. where people literally have the ability to galvanize and stop each other from buying a hoodie right. with a monkey on it right. or <laughs> stop buying that Frappuccino because guys are getting harassed hanging out at Starbucks right. for the color of their skin. Right. Like, if social media has the capacity to bring down your empire that fast, right. you now have to pay more attention and be a little more sensitive, I guess is the word, to how that comes across to the folks out there. So I would say in short, the cynic in me is not all that impressed. Uh -huh. I just think that it's a function of this is where we are and Indeed. they're taking heed of you know where we are. Indeed. Well, uh, the uh, piece went on to say that the Trump administration ordered more than 30,000 employees back to work without pay to prepare for the tax filing season, which is set to begin at the time next week. Um, but about 8,000 workers have claimed hardship exemption to not return to work while an additional 5,700 workers could not be reached. <laughs> That's hilarious. Could not be reached. Uh, the IRS has a backlog of 5 million unanswered pieces of mail from taxpayers, up, up to 2.5 million on January 16th. Um, IRS officials have told House aides with, uh, with in-person taxpayer assistance centers closed during the shutdown, the IRS was receiving more than 700,000 pieces of mail every day, up from 200,000 pieces of mail as of January 16th, which would have been before the shutdown. Um, so it is interesting, speaking of that, like those pileups of, of mail, mm -hmm. I myself got a piece of mail from the IRS basically saying, please give us 60 more days to address this issue, which I, like, I opened it up expecting to see like, okay, they're gonna give me my final answer on this particular issue. Mm -hmm. And- Oh, so you were expecting it. 
I was expecting them to say, this is the decision on the thing you asked us about. Okay, because anytime somebody says, I got a letter from the IRS, I'm like, dun, dun, dun. Like, it's not like a happy conversation, like you just introduced it. That's what I was expecting. And when I opened it, it was like, hey, the shutdown really affected us such that we can't actually address your thing right now. So look out for another one 59 days in. Exactly. That says we need another 60 days. Exactly. Question for you. It's like the, 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 some would say the foolishness of this administration has landed out our front doors. Are you surprised the level at which it has? It's like crazy. It's touching real people in real ways. Is that a real question? <laughs> or are you, you, are you asking that because it's in the, in the outline of the show and yeah. so you have to ask it? I think that's maybe okay, what it because is. Because I know you already know <laughs> the answer to Heck yes. I, <laughs> dude, this was all foretold from the very beginning. Okay. Right? Uh, how does the guy who filed for bankruptcy three or four times uh-huh. pretend that he's going to be able to manage the country's budget any better? <laughs> right? So none of this is a surprise to right. me, just based on the way the guy has managed his own money right. along the way. All so, right. like, his interview for the job was running his own company. Right. If he had to file for bankruptcy three times in managing that company, how did he get to the next stage of right. the interviewing process, right? Like that's, I have to submit financials to my company every uh-huh. single year to prove that I'm still on financial, solid financial footing right. and like should be allowed to give out financial advice to the masses. Right. How, how does anybody think anything different was going to come out of it? But that's separately right. from that, uh-huh. the, the really thing, the thing that really added insult to injury to this mm-hmm. was in 2017, the Trump administration passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, right. which fundamentally flipped our tax code on its head. Right. The IRS was already trying to wrap its arms around that right. in the year that it was given in 2018 right. to start to be able to make sense of it, to push it out there for 2018's filing season early 2019, I think January 28th is when the tax filing season starts. They were trying to get ready for that change. Just the regular issue. Right. And they were already saying, we're already short-staffed by like 10,000 people we need here to help with this flood. So the letters were already coming in from accountants and trade organizations and everything else saying, hey, we need more clarification on this. We need more clarification on that. We need you to rule on this. Those things were already happening and people were already underprepared for 2018's tax filing season. And then you you set people at home for 35 days. (laughs) Critical days, right? Like, I don't know if you watched any of the Fire Festival documentaries, but I'm thinking about the fact that, like, these guys tried to pull off the world's biggest music festival in, like, 60 days. (laughs) And then they had to change locations, Uh like, 30 days into it. So they had 30 days to find an island, talent, housing, all that kind of... This is what that reminds me of. Like, he basically took 35 days off the table when you were already... It just occurred to me that Donald Trump is the fire festival of presidents. As I'm talking about this, it, it literally just, it now makes so much more sense. I think the dude's name is like Billy Madison that pulled this whole thing off. Like okay. he's the he's the Billy Madison fire festival of presidents. That, Li- that is live realizations like you just had. I just had an epiphany. Indeed, it's an, it's amazing to watch. Your face just like paused. <laughs> um, so speaking to all that, uh, um, a little bit more of a serious question. Um, as a uh, financial professional sure. in the space, do you feel like this government shutdown is going to have this tax season dragging on for like you know years and years after the fact? I I think what's going to end up happening is you're going to get letters in the mail years from now Uh, that should have shown up months after you filed to say, hey, 
you made a mistake, right. or hey, we're just now catching something that's questionable, can you provide us additional documentation or whatever? Right. But to be completely honest with you, I think this shutdown is going to benefit people from the IRS's perspective okay. more than it's going to hurt. Absolutely. In the sense that they're so disorganized now, right. just trying to get filing season done, right. they don't have the time or the resources to audit anybody, nope. they don't have the time or the resources to talk, come, come after you to say, hey, you're behind on your right. payments from years in the past, right. they don't have the time or the resource to levy tax liens against people's property the way they normally would, who's going to do it? Everybody's busy worried about filing deadlines and right. stuff. So I think, honestly, from just specifically this perspective, uh -huh. this actually helps more people than it hurts, sure. in my estimation, mm -hmm. just through the IRS. Right. I want to be clear. I'm not talking about the whole country. <laughs> just through the lane of the right. IRS and the tax filing season. I think more people are going to get away with murder from this tax season. <laughs> just from all the confusion. Before. Yeah, just from all of the confusion. They've been given a lot more leeway and time to, to work on it. To that point about the IRS not having anything ready, I looked online for a particular tax piece of uh, documentation mm -hmm. that I pull down every year to like do the taxes for the uh, NYDM, the business part. And it's I found something online that said, this is a draft. Please do not take this as final. It was like a whole first page, like basically saying, this is what we think is gonna be, but this is not the final documentation, which I thought was, again, hilarious when I saw it. Cause I said, wow, this is really- There's parts of the new business tax code that's still on the website uh -huh. say subject to change. Wow. And we're already into the filing season. Right. So it, it's gonna be interesting. It it's gonna, but I think if nothing else, uh -huh. the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act combined with this IRS 35 day layoff mm -hmm. has basically created a, a moat around the tax preparation field. Right. So anybody who was lamenting the fact that come April 15th, they don't have as much work to do, the season's over and there goes my client base. No, this work is gonna drag out <laughs> way further into this year than right. it ever has before. Indeed. Because there's just so much confusion. Indeed, indeed. Uh, well, I wanna remind people you're listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. I wanna remind you, you can always catch the show as a podcast on multiple platforms, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and now Spotify. Of course, please leave us a review or a rating on any of those excellent platforms. That helps more people catch our show. If you have a question or subject you want us to cover, send it to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com. And of course, you can always follow us on that good old social media uh, on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's at MYDM with a one on the end. Malcolm, how about yours? Uh, at Malcolm on Money. And of course, you can catch us on the good old Facebook, facebook.com backslash managerdamnmoney. This is MYDM with Ben and Malcolm. We will be right back. Thanks for listening to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Are you interested in more entertaining fare covering money and millennials? Treat yourself to a copy of my book, 
Fictitious Financial Fairy Tale, a completely untrue story about money, friends, and Moscow mules. Available now on Big Brother. I mean, Amazon. It's packed with laughs and will look great on your living room coffee table. Enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, where today's conversation at hand for this episode, understanding economic inequality and the policies being peddled to address it. And this is actually a two-part series of our show. We're going to cover part one in this episode, and we're going to cover part two in an upcoming episode. Um, Malcolm, America and the world at large is coming to a broad and widely held conclusion. Economic inequality is becoming a problem. With the world's richest people owning literally half of all the monetary wealth in the world, questions are beginning to be raised about whether this is right, sustainable, or even desirable. Um, in this part one of our two-part series, we at Manager Damn Money will be looking first to understand economic inequality, and in our following show, we'll look at some of the solutions and policies being offered as solutions to this growing problem, Malcolm. So why don't you tell us, like, at just base, Malcolm, uh, what are some things that you've known or heard about economic inequality as a term as a as a concept oh, man how much time do we have um I, mean, I think the biggest the the true biggest issues to deal with when we talk about economic inequality as it stands just in the united states right is how many people are in the position that they're in through no work of their own mm. but because of their ancestors ah. so if you think about like the walton family who owns walmart right um how many billionaires were created just from sam walton when he died right. distributing those assets through to his heirs right or if you think about like the Koch brothers for example who i don't know where they are on the list but they're probably like number three or something mm. on the list of like world's wealthiest billionaires same thing business transferred to the, the two brothers, right. they now run a lot of the political engine that is the United States right. from their donations and their dollars. Right. So if you just think about people like that and the assets that transfer down to those generations, those people then are in a position to never have to work a day in their life. Some of them never will. Right. And are blind, I think, in a lot of instances to the way the rest of the world looks because they've been insulated from it their entire lives. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And uh, economic inequality defined, um, income inequality refers to the extent to which income is distributed in an uneven manner among a population. Uh, In the United States, income inequality or the gap between the rich and everyone else has been growing markedly by every major statistical measure for more than some 30 years um, as I turn into a DJ skipping. The richest 1%, Malcolm, this is an article that we pulled for this show, own half of the world's wealth, a study finds. Uh, This was a November 27 piece on TheGuardian.com by Rupert Neat. Um, The the article said that the globe's richest 1% own half the world's wealth. Um, And that was according to a new report about the growing gap between the super rich and everyone else. The world's richest people have seen their share of the globe's total wealth increase by 42.5% at the height of the 2008 financial crisis to 50.1% in 2017, um, according to a Credit Suisse Global Wealth Report. So hang on a second. Mm -hmm. So you went through that really fast, but I want to point that out because that's like monumental. So 2008 economic crisis came. Absolutely. And... 10 years removed, we can say it came and went, yes. right? Uh-huh. In that same process, 
I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people lost their house right. and watched their net worth go from a positive number to a negative number. Right. At the same time, the people who were in position to be able to take advantage of that moment, that moment right. were the people who were already the most well off. Which is counterintuitive because you wouldn't think that people would, at least at first glance, accumulate more wealth in a time when wealth is, you know, theoretically down. In theory. Right. But anybody who's an astute investor right. is looking for opportunities like that to right. be able to exploit right. with their access to capital mm -hmm. and their resources. Indeed. So, for example, Warren Buffett single-handedly bought a preferred stock from Goldman Sachs to keep Goldman Sachs afloat right. during the economic crisis. Mm. Warren Buffett is one person, <laughs> and he was able to keep the world's, or one of the world's largest uh, uh, banks right. afloat himself <laughs> from his own personal piggy bank uh, with cash that was sitting on the sidelines. Wow. This isn't even investments he had to sell to create the money. Right. He just wrote a check right. and said, hey, here you go. Give me my preferred stock. Give me my preferred stock right. and I want X amount of interest over the next 10 years and right. we'll call it a day. Wow. But like just the fact that a person <laughs> had the ability to do that, uh -huh. that hasn't really been seen since the days of like the early 1900s. I think it may have been even like the 1890s mm. when JP Morgan himself bailed out the United States Treasury from going bankrupt. Uh, so if you just think about the fact that that's even possible for one person and uh -huh. he built his wealth from what I understand in his own lifetime, right? Right. right. Berkshire Hathaway has gone along for the last 50 or so years right. from Warren Buffett building his investment uh, uh, behemoth over that time. But just the fact that like people actually exist mm -hmm. who have the cash and the capacity to be able to profit and double down essentially right. in moments of crisis like that right. knowing that eventually that money's going to come back they bought real estate they bought buildings they never intended to use renovate or move anybody into right. they bought land that they knew they were never going to build anything on right. they bought stocks and companies they didn't even care about right. like all of those things taking advantage of the fact that the market was down as deep as it was right. and saying eventually it's going to come back and I can afford to wait. Right, and take that moment to wait. Right. Um, the article went on to say the increase in wealth among the already very rich led to the creation of 2.3 million new dollar millionaires over the past year, uh, taking the total 36 million. Uh, these millionaires who account for 0.7% of the world's adult population control, get this, 46% of the total global wealth. Malcolm, uh, my dad had this theory that like if the people don't have enough, eventually the people go knocking on the doors of like the rich people. <laughs> Which was like an interesting, like at the time, like old man theory, but yeah. in this context, I'm like, I kind of see what he's talking about. Um, it makes sense to mm -hmm. an extent. Like uh -huh. I, I've never seen Mark Zuckerberg on TV <laughs> traveling without his own secret service level security. Wow. You maybe don't notice them because they're 20 feet behind him, uh -huh. but people like that uh. don't go out in public without the kind of protection they need mm -hmm. to not be knocked out like that. Right, right, right. For the most part. I mean, you may have some people that are like, I'm keeping it real and I'm out here with the people, right. like Richard Branson. Uh -huh. But for the most part, people like that, you can't get that close to them anyway. That's true, that's true. Um, so it, aside from my dad's thoughts, do you have any theories or, or understanding of how we have come to this point in the United States of America in particular? Stock ownership, I think, is the biggest thing. So not even in front of me, so 
forgive me if our fact checkers tell me I'm wrong on this number <laughs> by a percent or two, uh -huh. but the way I understand it, the top 1% of the United States, so the people who have the, the top 1% of the wealth in our country, mm -hmm. actually own 85% of all the stocks mm -hmm. on the S&P 500. Right. So 500 of the largest companies on all of the exchanges that we, we invest in, 1% of the American population owns all of those stocks. Mm. So that means that 1% of the population also owns all of those companies. Right. Because stock ownership is a percentage ownership of the company. Right. So you have 1% of the country determining what 85% of the companies are allowed to do. Right. They also ultimately then have all of the sway and all of the pull over Congress, Senate, mm. and the White House mm. because those people are all shaking their tin cup at fundraisers at the people who run those 500 companies mm -hmm. saying, hey, would you mind contributing to my campaign? Mm -hmm. Well, in doing so, they do it at the pleasure of the people who own all the stock in their company. Those are the largest shareholders who turn around and say what you can and cannot do as right. president of the United States or senator so-and-so. I feel like this is one of those conversations where the uh, person comes out from behind the curtain and then pops us both. <laughs> You're not supposed to be talking about this in public. You need to stop watching Scandal. <laughs> uh, well, an another article that we pulled for this story, um, a new billionaire is minted every two days as the poor lose wealth. Um, this was actually from a January 2019 article on CBS.com by Amy Peachy. Um, income inequality is creating what charity Oxfam International calls a deeply shocking trend. Billion billionaires are not only growing wealthier and adding to their ranks, but the poorest half of the world's population is losing, losing wealth at the world's as the world economy is expanding, the economic climate is accruing outsized gains to billionaires whose fortunes rose by 12% last year, while the poorest half of humanity, that's 3.8 billion people, saw their wealth decline by 11%, according to Oxfam. Uh, with the benefits of the economic expansion shifting to the world's richest people, billionaires are adding 2.5 billion in wealth each day, and every two days, a millionaire jumps into the ranks of the billionaire class, Malcolm. Uh, Oxfam, which has been studying the dynamic of the wealth inequality since 2011 said the latest findings suggest that a new economic approach is needed to help recenter wealth distribution. Uh, many policymakers and economists have believed that economic growth will lift all boats, but that isn't playing out for billions of people across the globe. One reason, as you mentioned before, uh, tax rates have dropped to recent historic lows, allowing rich and the corporations to hold on to more wealth. Uh, and then top, the top heavy distribution of wealth has coincided with the drastic reduction in tax rates for the world's rich folks, Malcolm. Uh, so some quick questions for you uh, before we go to our next music break. Um, noise about the trends of economic inequality have been rising and in pitch for a couple years now. Yeah. Do you see the trend changing or will this continue to be an issue, particularly in the, in the U.S.? Um, I hate to be even more of a dark cloud on this whole thing, dum, but dum, dum. the last time that we had economic inequality at this level uh -huh. that we're talking about right now, right. it was just before the Great Depression. Uh -huh. So 1930, not right. 2008. Right, that would be the Great Recession. Right. The Great Depression right. was even worse and right. longer um, in the 1930s, and that is part of what was said to cause right. the Great Depression and what was said to cause the length that it lasted and mm -hmm. how long its actual lasting impact on the country. Right. Um, so I, I don't know that that necessarily foreshadows that we're headed in that direction sure. again, but what I will say is it, it doesn't help. Right. right. So you have a whole bunch of people who are saying it makes absolutely no sense to lower taxes on people who have the most money right. and who generate the most income. 
at the same time. Like, it makes absolutely no sense. Right. But then you have people on the other side of that argument who will say, well, the less that I have to pay in taxes, the more that I have to spend, and then it'll trickle down, and which, blah, 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 which blah. Which generally doesn't seem to make sense in my mind. No. If I have more money, I'll plan to keep. As a friend of mine likes likes to quote his dad at me and say, you'll never get rich spending money. That is the mantra of the wealthiest people that tend to accumulate this kind of uh, of assets. So they're not going to spend the money anyway. They're looking for ways to keep from having to give it to anybody else. And so it'll just keep, continue to be this cat and mouse game of there's the tax, there's the loophole. There's the tax, there's a loophole. <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense at all on its face to say the lower the taxes are on the people who make the most money, the more there is for them to be able to dole out to everyone the, the else. The masses, please sir, may I have some more? I, I've never seen Warren Buffett on the corner passing out turkeys like <laughs> Nino Brown. Like that's just <laughs> never gonna happen, right? So let's let's be realistic about this and, right. and, and understand that the only way you're gonna get this money out of those people's hands at the time that they make it uh-huh. is through taxes. Right. So, you know. Yeah. I, it's an interesting thing. Question for you, though. There have been a couple of wealthy billionaire people who have addressed the issue. Um, I saw CNBC posted something on Instagram not too long ago. There was some billionaire who said, we need to address this issue, um, and not in like a foo-foo way, but in an actual substantive way. That was uh, Howard Schultz, Howard Sch- who is simultaneously well, running for president I'm not talking, of the it United wasn't, States. It wasn't Howard Schultz. It was some other guy. Okay. Um, but to that point, do you feel like there is a percentage of those billionaires who would actually give away some of that in, for instance, tax money as a result of trying to fix the situation? Or is that not to be hoped for? I do. Bill Gates has signed a giving pledge to give away 99% of his overall net worth at the time he dies. So did Warren Buffett. So have a few other really large name people like that. Um, With the argument that if my heirs can't figure out how to make a life for themselves with 1% of however many billions of dollars I'm worth, right. then I've done a bad job. <laughs> Which I think honestly says a lot. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, because think about it. 1% of $100 billion is still a billion dollars, right? So right. if I am the beneficiary of that billion dollars, I'm Bill Gates' son, right. say, for example. If I can't figure out a way to outlive a billion dollars, I don't deserve it in the first place, right? So I understand that logic, and I'm also very surprised Uh that they've decided to do it that way. Because usually the only time you find people willing to turn it around like that is when they've gotten themselves into some trouble and they need to garner public support. Um, Like uh, the the family whose name is all over all the buildings, uh, Rockefeller. Like Uh when they, you know, uh, John Rockefeller is like 75 or something, knocking on, on... uh, death's door and decided suddenly to start giving away money to universities for research uh-huh. so that people would remember him fondly. <laughs> but he had already pillaged all of the other oil companies around the world and, and made them poor and put them out of business. That's one way to do and it. And developed a name for himself as a terrible businessman. Right. But now, because I give away money to universities, people are like going to think of me fondly. Indeed, indeed. Um, we're going to take another quick music break, uh, but when we return, we're going to continue to discuss understanding economic inequality and the policies being peddled to address it. Again, this is a two-part series. This is the first part of a two-part series. Um, and of course, you can always catch past episodes of Manager Damn Money on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. We ask that you leave us a review or rating on any of those platforms so more people can catch our show. If you have a question or a subject you want us to cover, send it to us, info at managerdamnmoney.com. You can always catch us on Instagram or Twitter. My handle is at mydm one Malcolm, how about you? At Malcolm on Money. And you can always catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash 
cash, manage your damn money. This is MYDM with Ben and Malcolm. We will be right back. Welcome back to Manager Damn Money. Ben and Malcolm, where on this episode, we are talking about understanding economic inequality and the policies being peddled to address it. Malcolm, this is the first time we're doing a show like this where we address one half of the thing in one show and then we carry that conversation to another show. Because it's deep, man. It's deep and thick and you gotta get into it. So uh, actually, um, another article that we pulled for this was the world's 26 richest people own as much as the poorest 50% says Oxfam. Uh, this was also a January 2019 article on The Guardian by Larry Elliott. Um, the growing concentration of the world's wealth has been highlighted by a report showing the 26 richest billionaires own as many assets as the 3.8 billion people who make up the poorest half of the planet's population. That sounds great, right? No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> it said the widening gap was hindering the fight against poverty, adding that a wealth tax on the 1% would raise an estimated uh, $418 billion a year, enough to educate every child not in school and provide health care that would prevent 3 million deaths, I guess, a year. Um, Malcolm, we often talk about taxes on the wealthy, and they're seen as a quick fix for economic and municipal challenges like mm -hmm. health care and education. How do moderately wealthy people, um, people who you might deal with um, as you know, at a wealth management firm, see these kinds of taxes? You know what? So here's here. I'm gonna take a circuitous route to answer that question. All right, let's do, let's, let's do the uh, let's do the uh, Sarah Sarah. What's her name? I don't know. Sarah Huckabee. About. Oh 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 yeah, Sarah Sanders. Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sarah Sanders. Huckabee Sanders. This is, no, let's I'm, do, let's I'm not Sarah as bad Hansen. as her. Don't put me in that because okay. at least this is all truth. Okay. So <laughs> essentially, the the issue is one. Will the government actually spend my money appropriately ah. once they take it from me? Uh -huh. That's a common theme. Uh -huh. But more importantly, too, the conversation in America is always that you too can be as wealthy as I am if you just work a little harder. And so that dream gets sold to you when you're six years old sitting in your first grade class and, you know, the billionaire in your neighborhood comes to your to your neighborhood school to talk to the class because their kid is also your, your uh, classmate. Um, they come to talk to the class about all you need to do is pull yourself up by those bootstraps that I hear so much about. I don't even understand what that phrase means, to be honest. Like, how the heck do I pull myself up by a bootstrap? Anyway, so 
you get sold that story again and again and again, and there will be a few people like Mark Zuckerberg, for example, who created a company out of nothing right. in his dorm room dorm that room. was the biggest, baddest, you know, whatever. The thing that never really gets highlighted is the fact that Mark Zuckerberg's family was well off to begin with. Right. His dad was a pretty prominent dentist in his community, and he was gonna be fine just one way or another. Right. Right. So. The fact that like he already was in a position that where he was gonna be fine and he could take that kind of financial risk dropping out of Harvard to go pursue this crazy idea, that whole dynamic gets left out of the conversation and left out of the equation. But in reality, that matters more than anything else. But the, the dream that gets sold to people that makes them pound the table and say, we don't need to pay more taxes. We need to to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps is the promise that you too, middle American, uh-huh. not middle physically, but middle income American, right. you too could become a billionaire from where you are right. if you just worked a little harder and pulled yourself up a little harder by your <laughs> bootstraps. You'll get there too. Uh-huh. Don't worry about the people at the bottom screaming and shouting and protesting. They're never going to get there because they're lazy. But us, you're close to us. You're like us, right? You live adjacent to our nice neighborhoods. And you also go to the same gas station as me and see me, you know, filling up my Range Rover. And This is a circuitous route. I'm waiting for the turn. But, but this but this is, the, this is my point. That dream gets sold to a point that you don't have to convince people that it's it's a good thing to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. You can never convince those people that it is uh, because they've already been convinced that taxes are the devil. So right. by the time they get to the point where they're paying a significant amount in taxes, uh-huh. they're 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 already conditioned to say taxes are bad. Taxing me is a problem, and mm-hmm. I'm going to vote against anybody who ever thinks about taxing me charging more. me taxes. I'll use myself as an example and be completely honest. I just <laughs> filed my taxes this past weekend, uh-huh. and when I looked at how much I paid to the state of Maryland and to the federal government, uh-huh. I was scratching my head saying, like, no, we need lower taxes. <laughs> like, this is outrageous. This, this doesn't make any sense. Why is so much of my money going to the federal government? So uh-huh. a person who called me up that day and said, hey, you know, my candidate is running for governor or president and they're promising to lower your tax bill. They may have gotten my attention that day. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm not a single issue voter, but if I was, that you got be, my ear. That's hilarious. Uh, I don't even remember what my question was. <laughs> I, I hope it answered it for whoever was wondering what the answer was going to be. Uh, Oxfam said the wealth of more than uh, 2,200 billionaires across the globe had increased $900 billion in 2018. And that's, uh, if you're wondering, $2.5 billion a day. Um, the 12%, of, 12 percentage increase in wealth of the very rich contrasted with the fall of 11% in wealth of the poorest half of the world's population. As a result, the report concluded the number of billionaires owning as much of, of wealth as half the world's population fell from 43 in 2017 to 26 last year. Um, in 2016, the number was 61. Um, in the 10 years since the financial crisis, the number of billionaires has nearly doubled, which, as we said earlier in the show, is a little counterintuitive, but like when you break it down and think about it, it makes more sense. Billionaires have the most assets to do things and make risky investments that will pay off a lot. Um, so uh, I-, I wonder, Malcolm, if we could talk just a little bit more about how the economic crisis in particular inspired the consolidation of wealth in this way. Like, sure. how did that happen? And, and, and talk a little bit more about that. Well, I'll give you an example. Think about if you were a person who you owned your home mm-hmm. you have a job paying you know a decent you and your wife collectively you made three four hundred thousand dollars right? right so 
maybe one of you is a physician, one's an attorney or something that generally fits into that income base or something, something similar. And you are in your 50s, right? So you own your home already, you've got this level of income and you're in a profession that that income's not gonna stop just because the market is tumbling around you, right? right? And you just so happen to be pretty good with your money to the point that you've amassed, you know, a couple million dollars in savings, right? right? At the time you're in your 50s, like I'm talking about. And all of a sudden the economic crisis is happening. You look at your bank account and say, we've got a million dollars sitting in cash that we could do something with if we wanted to. Right. Um, we should figure out a way to take advantage of the fact that the market's down 38% at its depth in 2008. Right. And you just so happen to have a great financial advisor. His name may or may not be Malcolm. He called <laughs> you up and said, this is a great time to put some of that cash you have sitting on the sidelines to work, right. but we're not gonna buy stocks necessarily. We're gonna buy property. Right. So you're going to go buy 10 houses in your neighborhood or the neighborhood next to yours right. where foreclosure signs are going up left and right. right. You're gonna hang on to those houses for eight to 10 years. Right. And as soon as the market gets way too hot, you're gonna unload all those properties and make 5X on that money that you put into it. Right. Then you can put your million dollars back in cash, replace right. it where it was, put the rest of it to use wherever, you know, deploy it wherever you want to. Mm -hmm. They said, okay, great, we're so glad we worked with you. We're right. gonna do that. And then 10 years removed, we just saw, like I think, what, six months ago, maybe the housing market finally cooled off at its highest it's been in 10 years. Right. So those properties I'm talking about that Have you bought for sold. next to nothing, right you already sold them because you saw a five times return on your money right. for doing absolutely nothing other than being in the right place at the right time right. and having the cash to do something about it. Right. So I'm talking to you about the average middle American story, right? I'm not talking about a super wealthy person who's already some real estate tycoon who's been doing this forever. Right. I'm talking about people who are doing okay right. for the locations that they live in, right? If a person has a couple million dollars and they live in Houston, Texas, they're doing great. Right. If that person has a couple million dollars and they live in Washington, D.C., they may be crying poor. Like, I, you know, it just depends on where they are in, in, in life. So I say that to say there's so many situations where people who you would have never even thought about mm -hmm. were able to take advantage of the situation in that way right. that also helped to create that dispersion. Obviously, there were some really big players right. in the market right. that were able to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. But also, you had quite a few people in the upper middle class mm -hmm. who became super middle class through being able to take advantage that of- That should be a new designation. Down. My goal is to become super middle class. <laughs> um, well, Oxfam's director and campaign of, uh, of campaigns and policy, Matthew Spencer said, the massive fall in the number of people living in extreme poverty is one of the greatest achievements of the past quarter of the century, but rising inequality is jeopardizing further progress. Uh, the way our economies are organized means wealth is increasingly and unfairly concentrated among a privileged few, while millions of people bear uh, lack the, uh, are barely subsisting. Women are dying for lack of decent maternity care and children are being denied an education that could be their route out of poverty. No one should be condemned to an early grave or a life of illiteracy simply because they were born poor. I mean, that was a quote from the person who works for uh, the, the organization Oxfam. Uh, so broad-based impacts, Malcolm, before we wrap this show, of uh, 
wealth inequality because I kind of did some additional research just to kind of look at what it does. Mm -hmm. One of the first things at the top, uh, increasingly, society becomes controlled by, as you've kind of alluded to several times, smaller and smaller groups of wealthy people and companies. Uh, the question is, does Amazon need a seat at Congress is the next question, or, or that's how things are linked together. Amazon has a lot of money. Jeff Bezos has a lot of money. Does he have undue influence on how things work in the political sphere? He already owns the state of Washington, so why not? <laughs> Indeed. Um, then, uh, as we mentioned, I think, in a, in a quote above, the hand you're dealt is the hand you play with the rest of your life. Um, when wealth is concentrated, there are fewer pathways into the next social class, into that uh, you know super middle class route, because most of the uh, pathways have been like constricted off. Mm -hmm. um, then also, democratic societies lose their intended effectiveness with, wealthy, with a wealthy minority of people making a greater share of decisions. This opens the door for judicial, legislative, and administrative corruption. That's from Wikipedia. What is this? Did you hear that? Yeah. It's, did it sound familiar? <laughs> uh, anyway, another uh, impact of uh, wealth inequality, uh, higher rates of health and social problems, lower rates of sh social goods. Um, and that, interestingly enough, also from Wikipedia, um, life expectancy lowers, yeah. which is crazy. Mm, not really. If you think about, like, think about how old the U.S. presidents tend to be when they die. Uh -huh. 90, how old was George Bush last year when he, 90 something, yeah. I don't remember. Like, you have access to the best health care you can possibly get for all of the years that matter health-wise, right. right? So from 50-plus or 60-plus, mm -hmm. you've got the best health care and the money to pay for it. Right. You're going to live longer just because you go take care of preventative things mm -hmm. and you have the money to buy the medicine you need to keep you living longer. Right. For poor people, it becomes a question of, do I pay to keep my heat on at the dead of winter when it's 10 degrees? or do I pay for my prescription? Right. When that equation stops adding up, that person dies a lot younger than the person that's got access to healthcare and the money to pay for it. That's true, that's true. Um, and then finally, the economic stratification of society into elites and the masses has played a central role in the collapse of other advanced civilizations, uh, namely the Roman, Han, and Gupta empires, and that's also from uh, Wikipedia. Um, so Malcolm, we have a question that we have to answer here, not on this show, but on the next one. Yep. How do we solve economic inequality? You have to stay tuned and listen to the next show. <laughs> uh, of course, you do can we have a to be continued graphic. I, I think I though. think I think we need like a dot 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 yeah. or something. Uh, but uh, I, I always want to remind you, you can catch past episodes of Manager Damn Money on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And of course, please leave us a review on any of those platforms. That helps more people catch our show. Um, send us questions if you have them. Info at managerdamnmoney.com. You can always catch us on uh, our lately not very active social media accounts. Uh, <laughs> at MYDM1. Malcolm, what's yours? Uh, at Malcolm on Money. And of course, uh, you can catch us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash manager damn money. Uh, of course, thanks to our friends here at Montgomery Community Media for yet another amazing show. Um, and the first one back in 2019, Malcolm. We Feels good. We did it. It feels good to be back. We back. All right, the triplets didn't derail manager damn money. <laughs> Until next time, be good with your money. Peace. Peace.